0: Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Majatog Reap Ember the 5th, I believe. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to. Yeah, it's the 5th. <laughs> today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of Sacred Fire by Chris Pearson. I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know it, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment to thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links. Now, the way these work is that I have a pre-written review of my thoughts and experience reading it, and also the basic synopsis of the story. And then I just sort of riff a little bit. So if you happen to be joining live, go ahead and put your thoughts on the novel or any given moment of the novel that you particularly want to discuss. And afterward, we'll just sort of bounce ideas back and forth a little bit. This is my perspective only. So if you have your thoughts or disagree with mine, that's okay. I invite you to share them in YouTube chat if you're watching this live or after the fact in the comments, if you're not. Alright, hey Chris, how you doing man? So here we go, we're going to start with this review. We begin with the Scholar Varen leading an expedition to the ruins of Losarcum. His mercenary men are worried about a ghost that's said to haunt the ruins, but Varen wants to find his fame and fortune by excavating the glass ruins of the Tower of High Sorcery that was destroyed. They enter the ruins to be confronted by a wild Cathenmar Severin who kills everyone but the Scholar. Varen uh, travels to Cathan's sister, Wentha, and tells her of her brother being alive. Together, they travel to the capital to tell the king-priest. They arrive in the harbor with gray sails, which freaks everyone out as it's a superstition of an ill omen. Lady Elsa, the revered daughter of Paladine, is informed about Wentha and tells the king-priest, who then sends her to collect the Grand Master of the Knights of the Divine Hammer, who is now Tithian, Cathan's former squire. Together, they greet Wintha and her two sons, Rath and Tancred, then report to the king-priest. He's silent about the news that Varen shares and has them all to dinner to discuss it further. He seems unsure about what to do, as he sends, uh, he sent Cathan to his death to Losarkham, and Cathan returned and renounced the king-priest and his role as the Grand Marshal of the Knights of the Divine Hammer. Then, we go to Cathin who... As a dream about a burning hammer falling on Istar once again, and this is the first time he had it since he left Istar, he wakes to find Fistedanilus standing nearby. Now, good old Fisty wants Cathan to save the king priest's procession that was headed to him in the ruins of Los Initially, Cathan refused and then relented when he discovered that his sister and her two sons were there as well. A massive caterpillar abomination attacked the caravan, And a couple died, but as Cathan ravaged in like Sir Lancelot from the film Excalibur, ragged, full-bearded, and wild, they all defeated the beast. They stayed for a bit while Cathan talked with Beldinez, showing him the results of his war with the Wizards of High Sorcery and the innocents caught in between. Beldinez cried, truly sorry, but not for the war. Since Cathan has been away, the king-priest started targeting his own people through telepathy anyone with a bad thought was taken away. He reinstituted the gladiator games after the tournament Wintha put on in his behalf, and even reinstated slavery for all those non-perfectly good, according to him. As the procession slowly began to return to Istar with Cathan in tow, they stopped at one of the large cities for a feast and celebration. It was here that Cathan discovered Wintha and her sons were part of a resistance group trying to bring down the king-priest. Initially horrified by the discovery, once they showed Cathan what the king-priest was doing in his absence, he was stunned. When they all finally returned to Istar's capital, Cathan asked Beldinas directly, and he showed him that he had been targeting good clerics now as well. Anyone who worshipped a good god in a form or method that the king-priest did not approve of was killed or thrown into slavery. And then the king-priest revealed his true plan, to command the gods to stop all evil once and for all. Of course, we all know this event is what caused the cataclysm, but to read about it as it's unfolding is truly wonderful. The author is doing an amazing job blending new events and characters with established lore. The king priest believes that he can learn to command the gods by finding the lost Disks of Mishikal. He believes that there are chapters within the original discs that outline this action. Then it goes into a whole chapter devoted to the history of the discs. Now the discs were inspired by religious myth, and they are very real in this fantasy IP, so I did find the new history of them fascinating, and it's pretty ironic that discs which reveal the true word of the gods, penned by the gods, is the very MacGuffin which caused the cataclysm through the King Priest's actions. They were meant to be a revelation and ended up destroying much of mortal life so cathin agrees to aid the resistance in stopping the king priest and i am stunned that there is not more mention of fisty's role here why would cathin not ask more questions about why he wants the king priest alive when he could easily stop him why call cathin to save him after cathin sees the true evil the mad king priest is perpetuating when would fisty want the king priest to continue uh, i'm sorry wouldn't fisty want king-priest to continue destroying all evil? Uh, I I think it's a shortcut to Cathan's nature in not asking those questions more than is presented. Now, during the spring dawning festival, Cathan left the gladiator games to meet with the resistance and was shown the leader none other than Ravondo, the first son of Paladine. He had been planning to depose the king-priest for a long time after watching his evil acts, and now that the wheels are finally in motion... He shared that he didn't want to kill Beldinas, just take the crown from him, sit as regent king-priest until a new one could be named. Cathan fully believes him and agrees to help. Later, the Grand Marshal was dueling in training and a grey-robed informant arrived. It's a traitor in the resistance's ranks that reveals everything to Tithian, who is stunned to learn that the entire Marseverin family was involved in the plot, even Cathan. The plan was that Catherine would escort the king-priest as he discovered the tomb where the discs of Mishikal were held. Catherine would enter and subdue the protector. Then the king-priest would claim the discs. As soon as they exited the cave, the resistance would attack the escorts and Catherine would poison the king-priest with a needle. Everything went as planned until Catherine saw the king-priest in front of the discs of Mishikal. He believed in him, even still, in being a holy man. So he struck when he had the will to do so, poisoning Beldinas and carrying him and the discs out of the cave. This is an almost exact duplication of what happened when he got the uh, Mycerum, the crown of power for Beldinas. See, Beldinas never did anything. Not once. It was always Cathan, and then the power of the gods through Beldinas. So Beldinas is literally just a puppet. Worse than Gilthana, or Gilthas, in my opinion. Uh, the resistance was successful and waited for the divine hammer. Was um, it, I'm sorry. The resistance was successful, and waiting, but the divine hammer was tipped off. So they arrived in full force, killing all who resisted. It turned out that it was Tancred, Wentha's son, who tipped the divine hammer off. All for Paladine, so he thought. This enraged his brother Wrath for the deceit, and he killed him. The knights then killed Wrath, and Cathin wept for his nephews. This was a great moment of just brother v brother sadness and pain. And really, to successfully pull that off and to have you care is really a true strength of this author. So the knights imprisoned Kathen and captured Wintha, selling her into slavery. They went to abduct the first son Ravanda, who schemed the whole plot, but he was visited by a bearded elf. Right. Apparently elves can grow beards in the afterlife, just not in mortal life. Okay, so he says he wants to provide the prophecy of doom for the king-priest, then he'll take his own life. Paladine consented, and he died drinking poison. Corinth found that the prophecy and had it burned with Rivando's body. He'd been running the kingdom while the king-priest searched the disks for the power to command the gods, and he liked it that way. An unknown amount of time passes, and Cathan was imprisoned. He's rescued by Lesian of the Red Robe and transported out of the cell. He was tasked by Paladine to deliver the discs of Mishikol to Saroth, so that they would survive the coming cataclysm. Fist and caught up with Cathan before he left, offering him help getting out of the palace. If he took one of his spellbooks with the Disks, um, then he would help him. Now, Fist and refused to say why, but we all know why. And Cathin was off. It turned out that Physten wanted to use the king-priest for the holy cleric needed to open the portal to the Abyss and take Tichesis' place after defeating her. But when he looked into Baldinus's eyes and he saw the fraction of the man that he once was, he realized that he had been foiled by Tichesis. Tithian was sent after Cathin to recover the discs, and he met up with him in his hometown, offering him jury by combat. They faced off in a ditch away from the other soldiers, and though it was a close battle, Cathan defeated Tithian. Tithian saw the truth about the king priest before his death, and Cathin constructed a burial cairn, then left to Zaxaroth. The night of Doom arrived, and when Danubis was visited by Physidanilus, he was told to deny leaving. I can't help but think Danubis was under Physidanilus' spell when Lorelon arrived to take him to safety. In either case, Danubis denied the offering of leaving Kryn and instead left to find Phistendanus. This was the weakest plot point of the entire trilogy. Never once did it really sell why Danubis would follow Physendanalus unless he was under Physendanylus' spell. That's the only reason I could think of. But the whole premise of opening the portals is that it is the cleric's will that they are freely walking into. That was the whole thing. And so I don't really know what the thought process was in Danubis' mind, because it spent more time talking about how he was copying the existing Dissubmission Call rather than why he wanted to join Fisty. But, you know, it's still great. So the prophesied 13 events unfold and they're attributed to the evil gods trying his efforts at stopping the king-priest. We finally got to see Koranth get his comeuppance as he was crushed by stone in the earthquakes, and I silently cheered. I enjoyed seeing the first version of Fist and Danilus, Danubis, and Farragas teleporting to the future after having loved seeing Raceland, Chrysania, and Karaman taking their place in the Legends trilogy as well. Pearson did such a truly magical job of marrying the Weiss and Hickman version of this history with his own take on the motivations and characters. I really believed everyone, even the King Priest and Paladine. I actually, like, my eyes missed it over when Cathan killed Tithian and when Cathan faced the Cataclysm even when Braun was rescued by Wentha at the very end. His writing is truly superb. Now, the other knights of the Divine Hammer that were with Tithian continued to give chase after Cathan and caught up with him eventually. Just before they did, Brother Gendal, the fat monk avatar of Paladine, revealed to Cathan that he was the Lightbringer of prophecy. You see, I had thought he was the Lightbringer, but I thought that meant that he was the rightful King-Priest. But the Lightbringer was actually the one to carry the Dis of Michicala to Zaxarath, not the King Priest's alternative title. This brought a whole new understanding and acceptance of Cathan and the Cataclysm. I also loved reading Paladine's explanation about why he hated causing the Cataclysm, but that he had no other choice in order to maintain balance. So, Sir Braun of the Divine Hammer faced off against Cathan and bested him, but Cathan revealed... That he was the light bringer, and Bron finally saw the truth in his eyes. He ended up fleeing Zak as Catherine requested and witnessed its destruction. Cathan rode a boat out to an island and tossed Disks and Fisdanis' book into a vortex caused by the cataclysm before Paladine took him into the afterlife. Bron would go on to live for a couple years after traveling back to the Blood Sea of Istar. He was captured and tortured by locals before being saved by Wentha, who ultimately went her own way. Now, I have not spoken about the king priest's final moment, because I am torn. While I disagree with every instinct he had as a leader, I can't help but respect his core desire to provide safety for those under his protection. It's a constant thought I have as a father of two, even with one of mine grown and out of the house. The most difficult part of being a leader and parent is letting those you truly care about and love desperately make mistakes and fail. The king-priest never learned this, to his and his people's demise. The loss of innocence can be traumatic, but it is necessary, and I believe it is at the core of many of our own ideological problems we have in society. If we can accept that our thoughts and beliefs are our own, and stop trying to force others to share them, acknowledging that they've come to theirs through life experience just like you, we could actually have our own version of the law of balance. But ultimately, this requires everyone to take ownership and responsibility for their actions and feelings. This last one seems to be the hardest in our current culture. I hope it's short-lived, because though we may not agree on anything individually, there is infinitely more we have in common as a species with each other than our thoughts in the moment allow us to see. Now, I'm not suggesting we should love each other, as this is a bronze-aged childish notion. I'm suggesting we acknowledge that we are each human beings with life experience that informs our perspective and actions. And it's okay, even healthy, to disagree. But we shouldn't shield ourselves from these ideas and people we disagree with. Lest we learn the hard way, like the king priest, that it will only lead to our own doom. So, that's what I got here. Alright, so they nailed the landing on this trilogy you thought. I completely agree. This is genuinely a fantastic trilogy. This is, I mean, I, I, would, I would argue that this and the Talata's trilogy are the two best trilogies ever written for Dragonlance. Nothing else comes even remotely close, and that includes the Chronicles and the Legends. These two flesh out, these two trilogies that Chris Pearson writes flesh out characters and motivations in a believable way that's even fantasy, but you still feel for the characters. You don't like what they're doing, but you accept their motivations for being true to the character, and hence you believe in them. It's very strange, but he is truly great, and I'm stunned he isn't con- like writing more of his own fiction or more Dragonlance fiction because it's genuinely amazing. Let's see. You loved learning about the discs and enhance your enjoyment on Twilight? Well, yeah. So next week, I have uh, the Lore episode dropping, and it's about the Dismissia Call. And you'll be surprised to learn that there is no consistency in the history of the Dismissia Call. The Sovereign Press version of the disc's history is completely different than the history that's in the King Priest trilogy. And it was released a year later. So apparently, someone doesn't want anyone else to write anything about Dragonlance. And if they do, they just ignore it all. It's so frustrating as a fan. It drives me insane. I hate it. All right. So you love the scene with brother versus brother? Oh man, that was just brutal. Just the, I, I could see it in my mind's eye, right? Wrath just staring at Tanker like, what did you do? You betrayed your family. You betrayed your brother, your mother, and your uncle, everything. And he's like, But I did it for my religion. Like, all right, cut his damn head off. Because anyone who betrays their family for some made up bullshit religions should be put to death. (laughs) That's my opinion. And religions are the worst, just the worst. Uh, it's a good point, Danubis, Fist and Danilus' relationship didn't lend itself uh, to what was needed to open the portal. Yeah, I mean, maybe they had, like, this romantic moment like Raceland and Chrysania, <laughs> between Danubis and Fist and Danilus. Uh, and they just thought it was maybe a little too racy <laughs> for the trilogy. I don't know. I I think that would be very, very funny to see <laughs> Because Danubis portrayed in this story is infinitely older than the Danubis portrayed in Legends Trilogy. And so I just, I find it very, very funny the idea of this really old monk coming on to an even more ancient Fist and It's like two old men who found love in each other's arms, but have to refuse it because one of them wants to be a god. I don't know. Maybe it's not as funny as I thought, but still, I enjoyed it. All right, so uh, what else here? It was cool to experience the cataclysm this vividly, yeah. And to experience all of the warnings leading up to it. I thought it was cool. Another good scene was when it was revealed that the king-priest was destroyed statues of the other gods and punishing followers of Kryn. Bigotry begets further bigotry toward others. Well, that's, I mean, that was my point about this sort of end of this, is that when we live in our own echo chambers, we refuse to acknowledge others' opinions have any validity, and we dehumanize them. Because how could they be humans if they don't have a valid viewpoint on life? And we see this in social media, which is a complete poison. We see this in uh, modern far right and far left circles, refusing to even acknowledge each other's political and social perspectives and experience. And it is literally a toxic waste dump that everyone seems to be okay with. And I've never understood that. I got more flack from one video I created asking people to take responsibility for their own feelings than I did for any other video I've ever made in my entire life. And I've been making uh, content online for well over like 15 years. So I can't imagine this world that we have now spiraled into and ever understanding it when If someone just simply disagrees, oh, they're a Nazi, they're a bigot, they're the worst person that could ever, like, exist, we must try to cancel them and call their bosses and tell them how horrible of a person they are, simply because you disagree with their perspective. That's the world we're living in. The idea that someone asking you to take responsibility for your own trauma and to work through it, how that is considered a toxic thing, blows my mind. Like, I don't recognize any of this type of behavior. This is wholly new and wholly through social networking echo chambers. And it's poison to the human experience. Uh, What I think of happening to Catherine's sister, Wentha. Well, I like that Catherine asked Tithian to make sure that she was sold into slavery by someone who was away from the nation of Istar, which she was, and that's how she survived. Um, But. She's one of those characters that she didn't add anything. The only thing that she added was having sons who then betrayed each other. And that was it. And so for to have her at the very end save braun, it it didn't didn't progress the story at all. It didn't give us any sort of semblance of catharsis or anything. It was just, well, she's still around and she saw him and she saved him. Okay. I don't know. Because at that point, we already knew all of the lessons that needed to be learned that were being presented. It was already told. And I felt like that was the second or third ending to the actual novel. When If you would have X'd out Braun's whole post-cataclysm experience, which I don't think was necessary at all, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't necessary, and instead focused all that writing into explaining Danubis' choice to work with Fist and Danilis? Well, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're really delving into character story, development, and motivation. That's what I would like more, personally. But, I mean, I can't complain because Chris Pearson's an amazing author. And I really, really loved everything that he's ever written. Uh, what did you think of happening? Okay, so let's see. To New and Dallas Romance Story is the novel we never knew we always needed. <laughs> here. here, <laughs> You think people are so disconnected from each other, uh, it's become too easy to dismiss their point of view. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think the strangest part about all of like that idea, because that's at the heart of what this novel is. It's literally the king priest and his followers living in an echo chamber. When we can see the king priest's behavior in real life, you know we've gone crazy. <laughs> like, that is way too far that we have allowed ourselves to go. I'm not saying you have to like be arms in arms with people that you completely disagree with, but to pretend that one, they don't exist or two, they don't deserve to exist or three, that you should never hear their opinions. That is toxic to an open and free society. You have to hear dissenting opinions in order to solidify your own or challenge your own, and that is healthy. That's what it means to be an informed adult. Absent that, you're a child, acting as a child, living as a child. Uh, what do you think a crin would have been like if Catherine would have been the Lightbringer? Well, he was the Lightbringer. I mean, he he didn't become the King Priest because the King Priest wasn't the Lightbringer, and that's what I loved about Paladine's explanation as bro- Brother Gendal to Cathan. He's like, look, you've always been the Lightbringer you know, you had a chance to be the king priest, but that wasn't your destiny. Your destiny was to bring these discs here, of course, for Goldmoon to then discover with the Infellows. And so I, I I liked that aspect of it. But like I said in the last review of the middle book, Divine Hammer, Catherine would have made an amazing king priest, would have changed the entire trajectory of Kryn. And of course, it would have meant that we didn't get all of the great storytelling about the War of the Lance and stuff like that, but it would have been a very satisfying end to a fantasy world, and they all live happily ever after. You know what I mean? I'm glad they didn't do that, but he's definitely better than Beldinas, and Beldinas is genuinely the worst. There's, um, I saw a, uh, an image on um, Breaking Points, I think it was, where it had the guy who was like the, the Buffalo shaman guy on uh, set, uh, January 6th, when he raided the Capitol and he was like screaming. And then it showed um, this far right liberal, like screaming during the black right, the black lives matter riots. And it just, these two diametrically opposed viewpoints doing performing the exact same behaviors. And I was just like, yeah, that's, that's Beldina's. That's, everyone who went along with what the king priest wanted to do. I mean, to 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 not only target evil, okay, you're good, that's what you do, but then to target neutrality, that's a step too far, but then to target other good clerics who just didn't worship in the way that you did, even though you worshiped the exact same gods, you've gone fucking crazy. And that, oh, sorry, oops, <laughs> slipped the F word. That is liberalism consuming itself that we're seeing right now. And then you have um, – uh, sorry, my brain just went totally blank. Oh, then you have them invading thoughts and reading other people's surface thoughts like Minority Report, which is a great film, by the way. But like that action of policing others' thoughts is exactly like people shutting others down and attacking them online, like on uh, Twitter or you know Facebook or whatever social network you're a part of. Simply for having a point of view that doesn't mesh exactly with yours, even though they're all liberals or they're all um, uh, conservatives, if they don't toe the line with the most extreme version of that party, then you are suddenly demonized. It's ridiculous. It's like there's these weird purity tests in our culture that's just recent and it's completely toxic. Um yeah, so that's it. That's all I had. Uh hopefully you guys are able to see what I'm trying to say here. And <laughs> and just don't be a dick. <laughs> that's all. Accept that other people have differing points of views. And that's okay. It really is. It's not gonna ruin your day. It's really not. All right. That's it for my review of Sacred Fire by Chris Pearson. What do you think of the characters? Did you believe their motivations? Do you like the true meaning of the Lightbringer? And finally, would you have followed the King Priest? You can email me at info at dealsaga.com or comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click that like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. And I welcome <laughs> Um And I thank you for joining in this celebration. Uh, For dragging that song, my name is uh, Adam, and I'm just flubbing this entire outro. Until next time, Salon Javar.